This episode of the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you by iWake.com. Check out www.iwake.com for breaking news, articles, and exclusive videos. Thanks again to iWake.com. And now, it's showtime. He's been the voice of wakeboarding for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated Toad Watersport's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years on the water experience, charisma, and command of his audience, Noise of the North brings you the Golden Mike Podcast with Dano the Mano. Welcome, everybody, to the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. This audio podcast episode was recorded in sunny Orlando, Florida, otherwise known as the Mecca of all things wake. This podcast is based off the lake life, my passion for toad water sports, and the athletes who have helped sculpt the landscape of the sport we love. Twice a month, you can hear all new episodes with industry's top names, past and present, the riders, and the people behind the scenes who make this world on the water spin. The Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you for free on the first and third Wednesday of each and every month, both on iTunes and at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast free for you listeners, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, iWake.com, Woodrose, Hydra Fenders, Jammy Pack, Performance Ski and Surf, Hungry Boards, SUP, and GoPuck. Be sure to check out the sponsor link on noiseofthenorth.com to help support and to find special offers and deals from the people who helped me make this show happen. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Golden Mike Podcast, free on iTunes, and don't forget to rate and review the show. Also, follow my personal Instagram at DanoTMano and both Twitter accounts at TheDanoTMano and at the Golden underscore Mike. Feel free to contact me with any questions or comments through the Golden Mike Facebook page or email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. Well, I'm recording this episode just a few days after the 2015 Nautique Masters, just about two weeks after the first stop of the Malibu Riders experience in the WWA Western Wakeboard Regionals. For me, this seems like the busiest season start of my life. It's a good thing, though. But with only a couple of days at home in between events, recording the Golden Mike podcast and getting my iWake.com stories out have become the priority. But now let's talk about today's show. Today's guest. First, he's a nautique rider, so I thought it would be cool to have him here following the Masters. He happens to be a three-time Masters champion himself, as well as a four-time X Games gold medalist. He is a style that is way too often imitated, but I think it's only a compliment to the accomplishments and the list of firsts he has brought to wakeboarding. The living legend Danny Harf is my guest this time on the Golden Mike Podcast. Danny invited me to interview him at his home in Claremont, Florida. This is my second mobile recording in a row, and the Super Aeronautique G23 seems to be my new studio. Let me spell it out for you folks. We recorded once again inside a G23, inside Danny's 2015 Nautique G23. 
Dan is so humble about his achievements, but what I appreciate is that he's not afraid or shy to tell you what he's done. Danny's proud of his history and he should be. What makes Danny Harf so special is he has a long list of contest wins, industry first, and video sections, maybe more than anybody else in the world. He remembers it all and has a story to prove it. Listen for my favorite part when he tells me about earning the nickname BMH. Well, now a quick break to pay the bills, and then we'll be right back with Danny Big Money Harf here on the Golden Mike Podcast. GoPuck is a mountable, compact, durable, and portable rapid charging battery. GoPuck allows you to stay connected, capture priceless moments, and enjoy mobile freedom. Check out their website, gopuck.com. Be sure to use my promo code, MANO2015, M-A-N-O-2015, and you'll get an extra 10% off your entire order. Finally, Dan, the man, the myth, the one and only Danny Harf. Welcome to the Golden Mike Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Dano. I'm I'm pumped to finally uh, catch up with you, and I know we've been talking about it for a while, so uh, welcome to my doc house. Yes, thank you. Thank you for hosting us out here. This is another mobile podcast, and the G23 seems to be my new recording studio. Our last episode was over there on Lake Hiawassee with Sean Watson out there in your old stomping grounds, which was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the G23 uh, makes a good little living room, you know. It's probably more comfortable than my own living room, in fact. But, yeah. Uh, used to live out there on the Wassee with Watson, so I'm pretty familiar with his dock house as well. But, uh, yeah, I've moved out here, actually, like uh, 2006 from that that house on Hiawassee and now uh, living in the house that originally bought with Rusty, and now I live here with my wife. You still do have some property out there on Lake Hiawassee, right? I still have the house there. I rented to Chad Sharp, and uh, he's been there for a while, and uh, he holds it down, and I still go over there and ride with the boys. So it's cool to have both locations to ride and uh, still got some roots in Orlando. I know, uh, Chad, we actually had Chad on the uh, podcast a few months ago, and we recorded his episode mobile as well. We actually did it out there at Lake Ronix, and, man, you guys have got quite the setup. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I honestly uh, never really imagined that we'd have such a cool place to ride and hang out as a team. And the plans and ideas that are flowing for that place just, uh, you know, sound sound unreal. And I, I can't wait to see what the next three, four years has to bring for that place. And it's just uh, an amazing setup. And the vision for that place is, is really exciting. So I'm uh, excited to be a part of it and stoked that Paul and the boys at Ronix decided to pull the trigger on the place. I'm I'm pretty stoked about it too because I'm one of those guys. I don't know if it's because of my relationship with how close I am to Ruck, but I've been allowed to come out a handful of times and actually get my shred on. I've rode the course out there and the couple of the two tower setups and had my chance to take my Trixie off the kicker. I don't think you were around for that one. Yeah, the 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 place is awesome. I mean, there's so much you can do out there, and uh, you know, I don't. I think eventually we want to, you know, have it open to everyone and to the public. But for now, it's just kind of our private testing grounds, and um, Dan is definitely part of the family of Ronix. So, you know, I can't wait 
for more people to be able to see it in person. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to make it as cool as possible. And a lot of people get the opportunity to see what's going on through social media, the, the Ronix Facebook page and Instagram page, and even the, the new stuff, the Backyard Boogie episodes out on Alliance are giving a lot of people uh, an idea of what's going on uh, at Lake Ronix. Yeah, the pictures that have came out of there are amazing, and you know we've definitely tried to, uh, you know, limit the amount of stuff coming out of there and just put out really high quality stuff. And, um, you know, the place is unbelievable, and there's still a long way to go. So I'm, you know, I'm just excited to keep keep progressing out there, and I love riding out there, and it's really kind of inspired me to be a better all around rider and more of a park rider as well as a boat rider. Well. We're recording this episode just a few days post-Masters, and, and I know you were watching online via the webcast. Uh, how do you like watching the event live uh, from the comforts of your home? Well, actually, you weren't at home. You were in Vegas, but you were watching live webcast. How is that? Yeah, uh, I actually I love the webcast. I think, uh, I think it should be like that for every contest. You know, I hope that we can do that in the future. I watch all the surf webcasts of the contest, so... Um, I think it's just a really cool way to watch sport like surfing or wakeboarding live. Um, and also, you know, uh, to have Dano announcing the Masters makes it that much more entertaining. So, uh, yeah, I was definitely tuned in when I could be. I was in Vegas doing a wakeboard demo at the PBR, the Pro Bull Riding uh, uh, Association there out in Vegas. They had a big event out there. So, yeah, that was definitely interesting. Uh, I love the Masters. I've been there. A bunch of times unfortunately didn't make it up there to watch in person but uh thanks to dana i was uh you know tuned in the whole time did you catch any of the skiing at all uh you know i watched uh just some of the juniors i think or um and a couple of the earlier events trying to trying to tune in for the wakeboard stuff but uh yeah you know i love i love watching all those guys out there it's cool just to see everyone trying to compete at the highest level and you know i definitely respect all the athletes from all the sports that do their thing out there. And yeah, I wish I could have been there to compete. I'm gunning to be there next year riding, being 30. It's hard to, it's hard to keep up with these young guns nowadays, but body's feeling good and I'm definitely, you know, riding as good as ever. So um, stoked to finish out the year, do some of the other contests and uh, yeah, working on some filming and web video projects. So, Hey, how about Harley Clifford scoring? that perfect 100. I was told that it was the first time in professional wakeboarding history that anybody scored a perfect score. Yeah, I mean, that was just an insane run altogether. I mean, that I think he definitely deserved a perfect score. It's the highest level of wakeboarding anyone's ever seen in a contest and it was, you know, all well executed and it made wakeboarding look awesome and it showed what the sport's all about. So, my hat's my hat's off to Harley. He's killing it right now, and uh, he's definitely setting the tone and setting the pace. And I think, you know, without guys like Harley Clifford, I think, you know, wakeboarding could potentially disappear. But it, he he's re-inspired everyone to keep pushing it, and, you know, all the guys are going to ride harder and bigger and better because of what he just did. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm just blown away. I couldn't I couldn't believe that he was able to – pull that off under the pressure of falling, you know, knowing that he could have done an easier run and still won. Um, but yeah, I mean, hats off. It's, it was amazing to watch and 
I can't wait to uh, watch more of him. And for the people who like are listening to the podcast that didn't see the Masters, this year at the Masters, Harley Clifford took off the dock. In his run, he executed three versions of a 900-degree spin, uh, three different Moab 540s. Well, let's break it down. It was a heel nine, a toe nine, a switch toe nine. He, I don't. Did he do a switch toe nine? I, I I'm I, pretty sure he did. I I'm think he did. He did. A, I, I'm. I mean, I'm pretty sure he went heel nine, toe nine, uh, crow five, double tantrum, cab roll. Yeah. It was five Something tricks. Like it was five tricks each pass. Yeah. And you and I before we. Oh start, no! He went. He went heel heel nine, toe nine or back seven. Back seven. That's it. Toe nine, double cab roll, and then or double tantrum, double cab roll. It was just insane. Yeah. And then his second pass. I mean, you, we were talking about it, even his filler tricks. You know, you you were calling them filler tricks. Uh, in my in my book, there's some of the hardest tricks out well, there. Well, by fill, I didn't mean filler. There, I meant. The the non highlight tricks of his run were, you know, the were uh, like the hardest tricks people are doing on a week. Like a blind Pete Rose. Yeah, he did a blind Pete, a front mobe five, a Pete Rose, you know. back mobe five. Yeah, he was just he was on fire, and it was just unbelievable to watch wakeboarding at that level. And I I didn't really see that happening that fast, but you know. That's progression. So so Harley was second to last off the dock. Top-seeded rider in the heat was the defending Masters champion, Philip Sovin. Um, the score of 100 came out before Phil hit the water. That's just how it goes. The Masters, it's real-time scoring. So Phil taking to the water, knowing that Harley had that, that 100 point, could he have done anything close, or or is Harley just untouchable? I mean, what could Phil have, is there any way Phil could have beat him that day? I mean, if Harley lays down a run like that, he's untouchable. You know, I don't think anyone else can top that. Although there are guys coming up quick who who will be there soon. So he's, I'm sure Harley's not done. And you know, it's going to be fun to watch the next generation of riders come up and continue to push the sport. And you know, I uh, I'm excited to almost just you know at this point sit back and and watch. But I still have some gas in the tank, and I still have some stuff I want to do too. But you know, there's guys, there's a handful of guys right now that are, you know, just riding at a whole new level and um, just to name a few. But in my opinion, I think, you know, Harley Clifford, Mike Dowdy, um, Massey Pifferetti, uh, Corey Tunison, all those guys, you know, are potentially, you know, the next generation of wakeboarding and they're going to take the sport to a whole new level, that group of guys. I definitely can, can agree with you on a lot of those names for sure. I want to start from the beginning of uh, of wakeboarding for you. Your family moved from California to Orlando, uh, and everybody knows that. Anybody who saw Defy, it was it was in there. And since um, you know you you were a surfer, and since obviously finding waves isn't easy in Central Florida, wakeboarding quickly became your everyday love. But how were you actually introduced to wakeboarding? Um, well, my, uh, my parents grew up both in California and, uh, my dad had water skied with his parents and with his older brother and, uh, with some of his friends at actually at Canyon Lake, which I've spent a lot of time there now, which is kind of cool that that's where my dad, uh, actually started water skiing. But my dad wanted to teach me to water ski and, uh, he actually did teach me when we were, uh, little kids to me and my sister both to water ski behind a jet ski. And, uh, 
we saw a wakeboard in the store and we had some friends with a water ski boat. So uh, we decided to try it and we were kind of all hooked as a family just because we all love to surf and uh, being, you know, stuck in Orlando, kind of where my dad was here for work. Uh, you know, we, we went to the beach when we could to surf, but it wasn't always waves and we had to, you know, go to school and all that stuff. So wakeboarding was just more practical growing up in Orlando than surfing and it's a perfect place to do it. And, you know, having those surf roots really made me fall in love with the sport. But uh, basically, yeah, we were walking through a sports authority, saw a scurf board, you know, it was a big skag directional scurf board. And uh, we just basically carved the wake for about a year and a half before we even, you know, really looked into what wakeboarding was all about. And by that point, there was already some twin tip boards out and guys were, you know, guys like Byerly were already starting to progress the sport and do some really cool stuff. But, you know, I wasn't even aware of that for like the first probably a uh, year and a half, you know, of wakeboarding. So, yeah, that was uh, basically my my first exposure to the sport was seeing one at Sports Authority and then eventually getting into performance ski and surf and uh, finding some cooler twin tip boards. And that's when I got on my first double up board. Dan, have you always been a Nautique family, even before you were sponsored by them? We've always uh, been fans of Nautiques for sure. We actually, uh, our first boat when we moved to Florida was, uh, we had this Sea uh, Ray. It was a 21-foot, like, center console Sea Ray, kind of like a Boston Whaler-style boat. But, uh, yeah, we uh, traded that in once we got into the wakeboard water ski thing, and we got uh, the Ski Ray, which was, like, their version of the a ski boat, so... Um, unfortunately we looked at Nautiques, but, uh, couldn't pull it off. My, my dad got a better trade on the, on the ski ray. So that's what, that's what actually I filmed my very first video part behind was the ski ray. But, uh, that's what I learned on. That's really what, uh, I did my first heel seven and Pete Rose and Chromob and, uh, a lot of my first, you know, technical tricks were behind the ski ray. And then, uh, I actually, as a junior, I was actually riding for Toyota boats when they first started uh, trying to get into the water ski wakeboard boat industry. I was riding for Toyota uh, for like a year and a half, and uh, that didn't work out. And obviously, my first pick was Nautiques. And uh, when I got the offer, I signed on and never looked back. Once you started riding, how did you know when you were ready to start competing? I started doing some contests pretty early on probably way before I was ready to start competing um but it was just because I had a friend that lived on the lake and he was uh his name was Marcus and he's 10 years older and was basically a really good wakeboarder at the time like a semi-professional where he was uh competing at some local contests at a pro level not doing like the full tour because uh basically couldn't afford to pay his own way and didn't have the sponsorship but he was a really good wakeboarder and taught me a lot. So I went to some contests and watched him ride and entered like the beginner division with one invert. And uh, that was kind of uh, my first contest. I think I did three tantrums in my first pass. Could barely jump the wake toe side or didn't have any tricks toe side. I, I can't remember, but it was too early to compete. But it was, it was fun and, you know, it made me want to get good. And I actually... I, I'll never forget, I met Philip and uh, Bob Sovin at my very first wakeboard contest in Jacksonville, Florida. 
Phil was already in wakeboard movies probably I'm assuming at this time. I'm guessing this is the dates around this is probably around ninety seven, ninety eight ish. Yeah, I mean it would have been right when they probably would have shown Liquid Force would have shown video footage of Phil Sovan. Well, I remember Phil in High was, Wake Drifters. Yeah, he was riding, you know, the the mini squirt or the squirt at the time or whatever and doing tantrums and bel airs and all this crazy stuff for a little kid. So um now he does uh I mean, tantrums with 720s in them. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was crazy to see Phil, you know, and me kind of grew up in the sport together. And along with a, lot, a few other faces, J.D. Webb was at some of the very first contests I did. And me and J.D. and Phil and Bob, and we've all been friends ever since. So it's kind of been fun growing up with those guys. Now, you, when you got into riding in, like, WWA events, I'm talking, like, nationals and worlds and stuff like that, this was in the 90s. Were you riding in the boys and then the junior men's divisions, or did you start in junior men's, or how how was the progression, like your timeline? Uh, I basically did two years in the boys' division before I moved into juniors. And boys is 10 to 13, and at that time, was it the same age bracket? I'd imagine, yeah. I can't honestly remember. So I, I, I think, yeah, I was probably 11 and 12 or, you know, 12 and 13 when I was competing in boys. And then into juniors. But my first ever contests, uh, me and Parks were actually talking about this the other day, but he did a double tantrum in Texas, in Dallas, Texas. Um, and I think it was 99 or 98. Or actually, no, sorry, sorry. It was 97, I think. 97, yeah. Temper, the temper tantrum. Yeah, I mean, we could probably look that up whenever, if Parks was here, he would remember definitely when he did the first double tantrum in a contest. But yeah, that was my very first nationals. You had to write down your run on the on the attack sheet, it was called. It was still, you know, the stepchild of trick skiing. But yeah, that was my very first contest. I wrote down tricks I couldn't even do because I didn't actually have like enough tricks that I knew what they were called on the sheet to do. So I just... Figured if I got that far, I'd try the, this trick that I wanted to learn. So I, I didn't make it too far. I think I fell in my first pass on my third trick. So then I had to ride out to the end, came back, and then I only had two tricks in my second pass that I knew how to do because <laughs> the last three were just tricks that I wanted to try because I didn't have any other tricks to do. And so. would you, back in the day, would you like get disqualified if you if you went off of your trick list? Well, they just wouldn't. If you did something that you didn't write down, it just wouldn't count. So you'd basically have to score the same way trick skiers do. Oh, that I mean, sounds progressive, <laughs> right? Yeah, so trick skiers can tell you all about how it works. I mean, wakeboarding's changed a lot since then, thank God. But, yeah, that was my first contest. And, uh, yeah, so it's really cool to see how the sports came so far. And, you know, going back to Harley Clifford's run, you know, he's doing double flips and crazy stuff and, you know, really changing the sport and it, it makes people want to try it and get into water sports. So, you know, it's cool to see the sport progress and I'm just pumped to be a small piece of the story. So do you still watch any of the boys divisions or junior men divisions? Um, like, do you follow any of those guys? I know a couple of them actually live out here on this lake. Some of the best uh, young up-and-comers train right here on, on on your lake yeah i mean you can pretty much see tyler warhol's house from right here tyler lives right off that point um he's a really great kid i love you know him and his family are awesome 
Um, I actually ride with him a little bit out here. And, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of kids that I, I love to watch. There's a really cool, you know, there's a, so many great families in the sport and so many cool kids and, you know, uh, both girls and guys coming up riding. And it's just cool to be a part of the sport. And I love to watch all, everyone compete. And, you know, it's fun to go to the contests like, uh, you know, nationals and the weight games and those you know, more family-oriented events. Where the new Nautique Pro-Am, which is going to be happening this summer. Right, yeah, I'll be out there in California for the Nautique series, you know, out there. So, yeah, it's fun to be a part of those events with all the families there. And, you know, it's great, you know, that's how I got into the sport, and that's part of the reason I love it is, you know, because I did, you know, start at such a young age, and there's such a cool, you know, group of people that are involved. So, yeah, it's great to see that it's still that way and there's so many cool you know families and amazing young kids coming up in the sport so yeah i love watching all those guys did your style even as a kid was so apparent in in the late 90s i remember you were riding for double up wakeboard you'd mentioned it was one of your first sponsors were you influenced by any of the guys from that company guys like you know colin wright or greg nelson at all well, yeah, that's funny that you say that because it was uh, that was kind of one of the deals I made with uh, Greg Nelson when I signed on with Double Up, is that I couldn't really spin that good, and Double Up was a company that was you know about style and spinning and grabbing and poking, not necessarily going upside down and flipping and spinning like you know more like uh, getting back to trick skiing, but uh, yeah, so that was kind of the deal, and uh, I definitely. You know, my my style influence definitely came from skateboarding and surfing where my, you know, I started skating and surfing before wakeboarding. So uh, I watch videos, you know, all the time. And uh, yeah, then definitely had a lot of influence from the early double up days when I, you know, basically forced myself to learn how to spin. And then, uh, you know, I, it's funny, I when I signed on with double up, Greg, said if I didn't learn a 360, then I couldn't ride for double up. So he kind of gave me like a time period. It's funny now if you think back on that, because little did he know that I would be, you know, the first guy to ever do a 1260, first guy to do a heel side 1080 and be probably one of the most progressive spinners, you know, to date on a wakeboard. So, yeah, I mean, thanks, Greg, for uh, making me learn a 360. <laughs> yes, yes, and I'll send him a big thank you for that as well. And you you talk about like that style that the the uh, OG Double Up team had and and Colin Wright, a guy who I don't know if he ever landed a mob in his whole entire career, but he had a great career. He was one of the only guys featured on a video on Sean Murray's video game. Yeah, you know it's cool. Colin Wright had a great career. He probably never landed a mob. He probably never even tried a mob. You know, but yeah, the the guy had a cool style and he pushed wakeboarding in his own way and you know that's part of what makes someone's career is doing something unique and in your own way and that's kind of what I've tried to do too and in my own way just you know push the sport with things that I thought up or things that you know me and friends talked about and dreamt of and you know uh it's cool like riding with the pointless guys was a huge part of my style influence you know having uh you know, all those guys push me in different directions and have all those different kind of styles blend together. You know, we all pushed each other. And I think that's also, you know, where the style came from. And me, you know, then even in now, me and Park still, you know, we'll talk or other, you know, Chad and Ruck will just 
talk about tricks and dream up tricks and you know whatever even if we'll never do them we yeah, but still, you but you got guys it, like massey and uh and jake plot and uh and shoto who you can just be like okay guys this is what we're thinking yeah you so, guys go do it <laughs> so yeah it's nice to have fresh guinea pigs around for sure <laughs> man so diverse you are from your free riding of course to your contest results and right now i'm actually looking at this list of accomplishments from 2000 until 2010 because that's as far as they're posted on wikipedia uh i I don't know who else in the world of wakeboarding has a resume like you do and if you don't mind i just want to read a few of these standout uh, accomplishments here 2000 rookie of the year uh taking a first place finish that year in oklahoma city x games going back to back to back in 01 02 and 03 winning the Nationals in 03, then back-to-back Masters title in 03 and 04, 05, another X Games title, a fourth X Games title, uh, the Nationals in 2005 for your second time, uh, in 2006, the overall Pro Wakeboard Tour champion, in 2007, uh, uh, some many top podiums, you know, top three places in 2007, top threes in 08, I'm sure, uh, but on top of those, in between there, you, you're the first guy to land the heel 10. You're the first guy to land the 1260. So you're winning wake awards for accomplishments that aren't um, contests. But I want to talk about all of your X Games titles first. Four titles, three back-to-back-to-back. How special were those X Games titles for you? And do any one of those particular titles stand out above and beyond the rest? Uh, I mean, I definitely kind of remember them all, you know, but... uh yeah, I'll, I'll never forget it. You know, it was really cool to be, you know, at the peak of my contest riding, you know, while wakeboarding was in the X Games because, you know, that partially defined my career and it's partially why I still have a career in wakeboarding, you know, is being successful on the highest, you know, on the biggest stage of wakeboarding at that young age and kind of, you know, knocking off the top guys really elevated me to a place in wakeboarding that you know was I was just so fortunate to have those kind of contest results and you know my friends used to you know my friends in the sport used to call me BMH big money harf because I seemed to like ride the best when there's big money on the line or when it was like the big contest but you know I think I I always wanted to win I just I don't think I ever had the best contest strategy I always, you know, rode more like Harley did at the Masters where, like, I just want to do the hardest possible run that I could do for myself and not necessarily, you know, I either wanted to win and win by a lot or I wanted to, you know, get last in the finals trying to win by a lot. So, you know, that's why I was so pumped to see Harley go for it so hard even when he could have held back and still known he still would have won, but, you know. I I just love that kind of go for it style and for me that's what I loved about wakeboarding and you know fortunately it worked out for me and you know in those 3 years at the X Games and then I followed it up in 05 so yeah I mean it was definitely cool to just you know be able to turn it on at that point and yeah I was uh I was pumped I still you know I still have the medals and never will forget those 4 years it's so cool. It's so funny. I was with your team manager from Fox just the other day, Todd Hicks. We were at the Masters, and uh, F- Fox was one of the sponsors this year. 
and there was somebody on hand that wasn't familiar with wakeboarding. Somebody knew that Todd was uh, with out there, and the guy and Todd was trying to explain about some of his riders, and he started talking about you, and he's like, yeah, Danny Harf, he's the guy that goes out, takes two falls right out the get-go, so he gets them out of the way, but then just comes in and smashes everybody with his tricks. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just, uh, I don't think it's ever a good thing to, you know, have a falling be part of your contest style, but yeah, at least, you know, at least I can, you know, still have the confidence to come back, and that's the thing with wakeboarding is you just have to go for it, and there's a lot of handle passes and a lot of little technical stuff, and you're riding on water, which is constantly changing, so little things can go wrong, and, you know, it's hard to be a consistent wakeboarder. That's never really been my forte, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I still love competing, and, you know, I still uh, can put it together sometimes, and, yeah, when I fall, you know, I guess I just always have tried to dig deep and really and really pull back because you never want to just crash out of a wakeboard contest so from your resume it, it obviously shows that it's definitely worked out probably in some of the most important situations so congratulations and a <laughs> bravo dan have you met any celebrity fans of yours or wakeboarding that have taken you by surprise uh i mean yeah it's it's always fun to meet people who are into wakeboarding uh probably you know i'm a big pga golf fan so uh I've, it was really cool to get to meet uh, Ricky Fowler and Bubba Watson through uh, some wakeboard connections. They're both uh, fans of wakeboarding and have, you know, uh, multiple friends in the sport of wakeboarding. So, yeah, it was really cool to meet those guys. They're, they're uh, you know, really cool guys, both of them, and uh, definitely my idols. Also, uh, you know, some some of the motocrossers through Fox. I've got to meet, you know, Ricky Carmichael, who's all-time, Jeff Emig, who's all-time, James Stewart, a lot of those guys. So, uh, you know, I grew up a fan of motocross, golf, and uh, wakeboarding and surfing. So, yeah, you know, other, I've got to meet Bruce Irons now that he's uh, riding for Fox, which is cool, and Ian Walsh and Kalani Robb and some of the guys, you know, who are legends in the surf world as well. So, yeah, it's always cool to meet some of you know, some people who you look up to and they all just do the sports that I love to do as hobbies. So I love to, you know, just hear their take on what they do. So yeah, it's always cool to meet people who are fans of wakeboarding. And what about, uh, Pam Anderson? Were you part of that crew? Uh, I think that was after X games, probably like 10 years ago. I always see photos at Shane's house. Yeah. I, I never met Pam, but she was, uh, she was, she was at a party or something and a bunch of the guys got to meet her. So yeah, that was cool. I think I met uh, Tommy Lee one time, but I yeah, I heard he's a wakeboard fan, a wakeboard what, guy too. Yeah, he used to. I think he used to have a boat and do some wakeboarding. So probably with like Ricky G or something. Yeah, back in the Cali days. No doubt. Uh, do you see any similarities between yourself and any other current contest athletes? Uh, yeah. I mean, definitely. Uh. You know, I'm a I'm a big fan of watching uh, Mike Dowdy, and he kind of reminds me of myself because uh, he loves to go for it, and you know, he's definitely always forward thinking and trying to invent new tricks, and uh, he's got you know the cojones to try the tricks that are new these days. So yeah, I love watching Dowdy ride, and and then you know, definitely I think a lot of guys you know um, probably 
were slightly influenced by me coming up so yeah i love watching you know how they interpret what they've seen and put their own flair on it and it's amazing what some of these kids do nowadays so what about a guy like josh twelker because i've heard so many people compare his style to your style i mean josh's style is way better than mine so i'll take that as a compliment (laughs) and i'm sure he will too (laughs) career-wise what are your main focuses right now I want to be a really good all-around wakeboarder. I still love boat riding and, you know, park riding. Uh, me, and, me and Parks and uh, Chad and Ruck are, are really involved at the Ronix Lake and, you know, getting with the rest of the team and, uh, you know, Mark Rossiter and Dom and Massey and Shoda and Dean Smith and all of our team, you know, we get together and dream of, new ideas for the lake and you know that's kind of you know part of my vision is you know kind of pushing the possibilities of park riding with the the ronix lake and also just you know still pushing my riding with the possibilities on the g23 you know it's like i there's there's still so much you can do on this boat that hasn't been done with uh you know double ups and just the sheer size of the wake going wake to wake so yeah, I still want to, there's still a lot of tricks I want to try. I want to do another 1260 before I hang up the boots. And yeah, I just want to film and have fun wakeboarding and still enjoy the sport for as long as I can. Now, obviously you said you want to make it to Masters next year, so I know there's got to be uh, some level of importance, but uh, with these other aspirations, these are tricks that you want to still land and whatnot, how... How important on the spectrum of things are contests to you moving forward? Yeah, I mean, uh, I still love competing and I still want to go be competitive and, you know, just prove that I'm still at the highest level of the sport. I still, you know, know I can get on the podium and win as long as Harley doesn't, you know, do what he did at the Masters every weekend. But, yeah, I still I'm working on some wake-to-wake doubles and, uh, you know, I've done – four different doubles off the double up, just never wake to wake. You know, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. I've, I've always kind of pushed my riding on the double up. Um, but yeah, you know, now there's with this boat, you can do double flips wake to wake. So I'm working on some different variations of that and, you know, definitely have some tough tricks in the bag to, you know, be on the podium every weekend. So I'd like to, you know, still finish my career with a few more contest results and, you know, some more video parts, and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I still love wakeboarding, and I want to, you know, keep pursuing both, you know, the park riding and the boat riding for, you know, at least probably five more years, as long as, or as long as my body holds up. (laughs) You never know, if you're like Darren, be doing it for another 10 or 15 years, man, which would be a beautiful thing. Yeah, you know, I still love wakeboarding, and, and I'll, I'll do it for as long as I can. It's not easy on the body, but, yeah, I think I think you can still wakeboard for fun for a really long time. So, yeah, we'll see how long I last. All right, Dan, well, we're going to take a quick break uh, to show a little sponsor love right now, and we'll be back with you, my friend, the one and only Darth Vader, Danny Harf, here on the Golden Mike Podcast in just one moment. Let's take a quick break and talk about gear. I get all mine from Performance Ski and Surf and online at perfski.com. 
Performance Ski and Surf has been the world's leading water ski and wakeboard pro shop since 1989. The award-winning staff brings decades of on-water experience and knowledge to each sale with a laid-back, no-pressure attitude. Do you like to get sweet deals on even sweeter gear? I know I do. So right now, through June 15th, mention my name, Daniel the Mano, and the Golden Mike podcast and get 15% off all rubber. Spring suits, full suits, heater tops, all wetsuits and vests are 15% off when you mention my name, Daniel the Mano, and the Golden Mike podcast. Stop in for yourself at Performance Ski and Surf across from the Florida Mall just minutes from the Orlando International Airport. Call or visit them online at perfski.com. Now back with Danny Harf on the Golden Mike podcast. Dan, do you recall any major rivalries that you've had over over the years personally? Uh, matchups, guys like like the Harf Parks or Danny Harf, Darren Shapiro, or anything like that. Anything that sticks out? I mean, not really. I never really had a real rival in the sport. I think I was always a really easygoing guy and just you know wanted to let my riding do the talking. So uh, you know, people wanted to always compare me and Phil to each other and you know bounce you know style versus tech on all these different things and they had quotes saying bad things about phil on photos of me and just random stuff that might have you know made people think that there was like bad blood between us but there never was i've always been a friend of phil's and he's always been a friend of mine so you know um i think uh yeah it's just you know it's just people having fun with it and me and phil definitely have competed a lot against each other and we definitely battled there for a lot of years where it was pretty much going to be me or him winning. So yeah, that, that was, those were fun years. And then, you know, before Phil turned pro, I was battling with parks and Murray and Darren. So yeah, I mean, I kind of had to, you know, step into a pretty big field of top dogs and, and, uh, earn my way. And then Phil came around and, you know, he was younger than me and doing the same thing. So yeah, I mean, it was kind of like, I was, me and Phil were both the youngest ones kind of trying to take down the top guys there for a while. So, yeah, that, that was cool. It was fun, and we were always good friends while we were doing it. Do you have a most memorable contest pass? Um, I mean, I definitely have, like, crazy little things, but not, like, exactly, like, my best run ever or anything like that. I mean... Definitely my X Games runs and landing some of those nines when it was like, you know, pressure was on and I knew I hadn't stuck the run but needed the nine. I mean, that's when Parks was doing doubles and it was, you know, such a... Darren was doing doubles, Parks was doing doubles, Daniel Watkins was doing doubles. Like, every, you needed a big trick off the double up, especially for the X Games. And, you know, I had I had done the technical stuff off the wake and... I just remember basically, you know, all four years I won the X Games. I won with the nose grab, toe nine off the double up. And just, I remember, you know, pretty much every one of those, like, like it's clear as day. And pretty much every single handle pass felt like, you know, minutes long. So, yeah, those are definitely, you know, four highlight moments for me. But, um, yeah, I it was cool. I landed a 1080 one year at Brostock, which was a highlight to do a 1080 in a contest and then uh yeah just uh you know 
I remember one year a funny story where like I I had fallen but the boat hit a tree like the second I hit the wake and Nationals. Yeah, and that was just pure luck because had the boat not hit a tree or whatever then dented the prop. I it was questionable whether, you know, the boat was slowing down when I hit the wake or not. They gave me a re-ride and I ended up landing the trick and winning the contest, but yeah, luck was on my side that day. That was definitely a, a highlight moment I'll never forget. That was my first nationals. That was 2005 in Wisconsin. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy story, but yeah, I, I don't honestly remember who was driving or anything, but I remember falling and going, are you kidding me? And then they came back and go, oh, the boat hit a tree right when you were cutting in, so you're getting a re-ride, and I was just like, oh, thank God, so... Yeah, that that's one I'll never forget. And I definitely remember it was in, you know, that spot in Wisconsin where we still do contests. So what made that so crazy was that we ran a contest for five straight days in a row, hundreds of pulls, and nobody ever hit that tree until you were like one of the last guys off or maybe even the last guy off in finals. Yeah, I mean I would have been probably one of the last riders of the day and that was yeah, just uh crazy moment in uh hitting trees and boats moments you you said at first you know you, you really weren't much of a spinner until you got with the the double up crew and then you learned your first 360 but you were one of the first guys doing sevens and nines off the wake every single time how do you go from a guy who doesn't really spin much who's more of a tech rider to being this spin ninja where did your spin skills come from um well I, I guess when I learned to spin off axis, I you know, that's when I learned to spin faster and be able to grab. And, yeah, I guess uh, when I first started spinning, I just had a hard time staying on a flat axis. I eventually first learned to spin flat, uh, uh, you know, all the different ways. But when I learned to go off axis and grab is when I learned to, you know, spin faster and started to get those, you know, new versions of the, the big spin tricks dialed and consistent wake to wake. And, that's what we used to do in the pointless days was just try to link together lines of spins. And, you know, I remember in the incomplete, basically that's all we were about was linking together spins. And I would do like heel seven, toe nine, you know, uh, backside seven and all these different tricks trying to link them all together. So yeah, that was basically, um, you know, just trying to spin as much as you can before, you know, we had the, the, wakes like we need to do now on the g23 where you can you know grab longer and do double flips and crazy stuff <laughs> all day long so to this day still no other person has landed a 1260 off the double up and with g wakes and the new board technology how far out are we from seeing more big spins go down in contests and free riding in general yeah i mean i i know it's like right around the corner i'm People are going to be doing this stuff on a regular basis. I'm sure there's going to be 12s wake-to-wake -wake soon. I know there's a handful of guys already trying to do 12s wake-to-wake -wake and coming close. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just mind-blowing what, what the capabilities of this boat are and where the sport can go. And then when you put a double up on top of that, it's like people probably don't even really realize the amount of hang time you can get on this boat so um yeah i mean i it's the progression of the sport is is crazy right now and um yeah you know 
I'm sure I'm sure at the end of this year guys are gonna have done twelves and you know, probably flips and three sixty double flips and probably it's just gonna get crazier and crazier every year. So yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch. What do you think the next breakout trick's gonna be? I've actually got a, a couple crazy double variations that I'm gonna try for the Wake Awards this year. So hopefully uh I'll be able to to land something cool and progressive to put on display at wake awards this year i'm sure you'll have something on display and and how many how many wake awards uh best trick awards have you actually won um i think uh three i think it's a beautiful thing man you, you crush it and you deserve it every single time i don't know if everybody knows this but i know this you are one of the guys who helped elevate rail riding to what it has become and now we don't necessarily see it as much behind the boat as we used to, but it is because of guys like you that now wake park riding and even cables have the setups that they have. Are there any real setups that you've been that you've built or that you hit or have been a uh, part of that you would have considered to be one of the setups that helped evolve the sport? You know, my first experience with hitting reels was watching Pat Panakos and Byerly and Thomas Harrell and some of those guys out at the projects put on the very first carnival and the same guy that took me to my first wakeboard contest actually I remember going out there and we we just wanted to watch these guys hit these crazy rail setups that we heard they were building so we went out there that was pretty much my first uh, time meeting Pat Panakos and a lot of those guys that were the original rail riders in the sport but um yeah, that early influence really rubbed off on myself and the rest of the Pointless group, and we used to spend tons of time out at the projects and hitting rails on jet skis and boats and just before the, you know, cables and system twos and before, you know, all the cable parks were really down with rails at the park, you know, we just used to dream up crazy stuff, and uh, I mean... I was there hitting like the first quarter pipe ever at the projects that was built by Team Payne um, that Pat set up for the, one of the carnivals, which I actually got knocked out on. But, you know, now quarter pipe's like kind of a staple thing in park riding. And, uh, yeah, I mean, all sorts of different crazy stuff from rails, the first, the rails in the Pointless movie at the Boniface to rails at my parents' house. We used to build a ton of rails at my parents' house. Um, most of them eventually got lit on fire to shoot. But, you know, it was early days, and it was before, you know, you could just rock up to a cable park and hit these crazy unit features, and it was it was kind of the first. The, it was the way that we all figured it out, and it was kind of fun, and luckily we all made it made it through alive. Yeah. That is funny. I I do remember a lot of uh, a lot of you a lot of uh, rails getting burnt back in the day. But a lot of that must have been because you guys were like, okay, we've done everything there there is to do on this thing. Now we don't want anybody else to hit this. Well, yeah, and then we were just pyros, and we thought it looked cooler to film film us hitting it on fire. So <laughs> we'd light stuff on fire and then hit it just to to really take it to the furthest level we could you guys you guys took so many rails to to all new levels and and putting your bodies on the line and one particular incident i want to talk about is i believe it was the justin stevens film running with scissors it could have been boombox um but i was talking to parks bonifay during the parks episode a, a few months ago and uh, we talked about the gap that you got worked on and it's it's 
it's something that's I, I always remember. I remember when uh, Running with Scissors came out, and so I used to watch that movie in the shop I was working at all the time. And the footage of you just going up, going for that gap, and I I think it was an up to like probably like t- 10, 15, 20 foot gap to a down rail. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember anything from that day? Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm pretty much remember everything i really i wasn't like mentally uh injured um i uh i basically remember the gap being about probably 20 to 25 feet we started with it at about five feet and me and chad were just slowly moving it back because it was a a really long flat bar probably about six feet off the water and uh it was maybe i don't know 60 70 feet long right in front of the boniface house and yeah, it was just a little incline that we were popping off the incline and basically stepping up. And uh, the bigger the gap got, the the longer you basically had to edge at it and kind of have some momentum going at the rail. Well, I just remember hitting the gap a couple times fine at the distance we had it, but kind of realizing that we should probably move it back to a safer distance. And then just kind of like not cutting at the right time and then second guessing myself and then cutting back out and not really having the right momentum to make it all the way up on the top. I basically thought that I was going to swing out to the left side of the rail, um, and let go of the rope and kind of swing out to the, that side of the rail. But I just had held on to enough line tension where it pulled me directly into the front of the rail. So I just basically remember thinking like, Oh, this is this could be really, really bad. Like I could be severely injured. And then I hit the post and just, I remember just, I knew the whole way flying through the air, I was going to hit it. So I managed to squirm myself into a good position to hit the four by four. And I basically wrapped it around, you know, I had the four by four right in my waist and wrapped around it. My torso was on one end and my legs were on the other. And, uh, Luckily, I just had, you know, severe bruising and scrapes and scratches and cuts. But, uh, yeah, I thought I had some internal bleeding at first. But after waiting in the emergency room for like six hours and not getting any attention, I realized I'd probably be suffering a lot worse if I had internal bleeding. So I figured I was just sore. And it basically felt like I got in a car accident and... I was sore for like a week and could barely lift my neck and head and get out of bed and stuff. But yeah, I was pretty lucky probably to be alive. You know, if I went into that head first, I probably wouldn't be here today talking to you like this. So yeah, that was definitely a wake up call for me. And also I think for the rest of the pointless group and we definitely got safer from that point on and kind of, you know, changed the way we did things. We let less, let, you know, lit less stuff on fire and, um, you just build stuff safer and kind of, you know, decided to be a little bit smarter about it and not just, you know, always have to one up each other. But yeah, it was, it was definitely, you know, a big learn lesson learned for me. And, you know, it's part of the reason I still make decisions I do when I'm park riding and doing stuff. So yeah, you know, you gotta be aware when you're flying across the water and you hit a still object, it can be the end of you. And I was lucky, but, you know, always be aware of uh, still objects in the water when you're wakeboarding. That's my advice. Have you had any other uh, dangerously close calls? Yeah, probably not like that, but I've definitely had some close calls, you know, with chase boats and with mega ramps and with, you know, 
different aspects of wakeboarding. There's been there's always close calls. I think wakeboarding is you know when you're trying to push the sport as far as you can. I think there's always risk, but you know that's part of the fun in it. And you know you just got to be smart and you know don't do anything that you're not capable of or that you can't clearly envision unless you really you know are willing to accept the consequences. Dan, so I watch Prime. I've seen Defy. I've seen a lot of your a lot of your video stuff. And if I didn't know you, I would guess that you're followed around by helicopters. Is that true? Yeah, actually, there's probably a drone on us right now from being flown by Sean Kilgus from Seattle. Uh, we're working on Defy Three, the drone, the drone version. Hey, how has filming with a helicopter affected video parts over the years? Yeah, I mean, I started filming with helicopters way back in the day with Ron Seidenglanz. Uh, Probably the first time I ever shot with a helicopter was at Lake Whippoorwill, where Sean Murray still lives. Uh, And, yeah, uh, still with the same pilot, actually, that still shoots a lot of our stuff. I've primarily shot with two helicopter pilots my whole wakeboard career because... There's a guy in Florida and a guy in Seattle that uh really know what they're doing. But uh yeah, I mean, um then I've flown with some other guys, you know, in foreign countries and stuff and that's that was a whole nother experience. But uh wakeboarding with a helicopter is pretty intense and you know, up until the the drones that we have now, it was the only way to get such a unique as you know, perspective of the sport that you can't see from anywhere but it really you know i think it really makes people appreciate what you can do on the water and seeing someone from above fly off the water up to a helicopter you know that's flying 20 feet five feet off the water looks pretty impressive so i think it just having that perspective and you know and showing it in the the water that we did i think is really what our goal was to make a really cinematic beautiful portrayal of the sport and you know i think it was like i think it was well done you know there's tricks i wanted to do that i didn't and there was stuff we wanted to build that we didn't but overall you know i think it was it was cool because you could show that to someone who had never seen wakeboarding and they would appreciate it from you know multiple aspects of what was going on what's the scariest helicopter moment you've ever had because i watching prime there is no there is no doubt in my mind that Kilgus, when he's in that helicopter, is sometimes five feet from you in the air. Yeah, well, the guy, the guy that I've gotten the close to is uh, is Preston because uh, he flew a bunch for Defy and and he flies this uh, Jet Ranger, I believe. But uh, he used to be a Vietnam helicopter pilot, and he dips the tail rotor in the water and flies, you know, basically right on top of you and and we almost had to tell him like hey you don't have to be that close because our cameras can zoom in and you know like i'm gonna have to put a fish eye on this thing but he's just a really good pilot and uh you know i think i think the scariest moments i probably never even knew they were scary but the moments i thought were the scariest was basically just having to like go all right you know he knows when we're hitting a double up that we're going to go a lot higher. So he gives you some room and he follows you in. And he also tries not to put his downdraft on top of you because I've caught in the downdraft from the helicopter and just been like blown back down into the water, like, like twice the 
impact of normal gravity. So, uh, yeah, he he knows basically to to not you know put that downdraft right on you. But yeah, the closest I've come, I probably didn't know it. I kind of always just go, all right. He knows I'm hitting a double up. Make sure everything's right, and then kind of cut in and forget about everything else except for what I'm doing on the water, and then just let them get the shot and. You know, then I see the shots later and see how close I was, but I never really even knew it. I mean, you can, you can hear when you're getting closer, but it's the helicopter sounds like it's gonna chop your head off the whole time you're riding. So it's, it's really not that much louder whether you're five feet from the blades or twenty five feet from the blades. So it's just in, it's pretty intense. Like those helicopter shoots were like, you know, four hours of just not just riding but driving the boats for other riders with a helicopter right on top of you and then when the guy finally flies away it's just like peace and quiet and you know you can finally relax but it's in it's intense the whole day the pressure of knowing that hey we're paying this helicopter driver so much money to rent the helicopter to rent his his time knowing that you don't really i mean you you got to have some pressure on you knowing that you have to land these tricks yeah, and and you know, luckily I landed some big tricks when the helicopter was flying. But yeah, it's it's tough, and it's almost more intense than any contest riding I've ever done because you know, like you said, you're paying this guy a lot of money to fly this helicopter above you, and you know, you don't really get a uh, second chances when when the day is done. So yeah, it's it's fun. I kind of love it. That's really my favorite part of being a wakeboarder is filming and you know being creative and doing those kind of movies and that's what I've always loved and kind of what I've always been most focused on throughout my career on top of you know aside from any contest priority number one's always been you know filming and just progressing the sport the way I wanted it to look and you know a lot of people who've come into the sport maybe in the last five to eight years know your name you've got one of the biggest names in the sport yet they may not know about all of your uh, contest success in the past. They know about your, your video success because arguably Defy and Prime, these are the biggest movies in our sport in years. Yeah, I mean, that's honestly why I wanted to be a pro wakeboarder is because I watch movies like Hit It and Spray, and I watched Mayday pretty much on a daily basis. That was like my favorite movie ever, and then, you know, I watched every all the movies, Shaft, Shafted, you know, all uh, all the Sideways stuff, you know, and then got to work with a lot of those guys, Mark Bame from Bump Films, and, you know, he did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, and obviously Ron Seinglanz did a ton of stuff, and I worked with FLF, who did a lot of the early stuff with Byerly. So, yeah, it was just, you know, I've always loved working in the movie part of wakeboarding, and that's, what inspired me to be a pro and you know i i think you can go do contests all day long but uh i was just like you know getting inspired to go out and ride and watch a video part or watch a video and you know then go wakeboard and have fun you know not necessarily go to a contest and feel pressure but just you know ride for how you want to ride you know even with the growth of cable riding around the world the level to re uh to real wake riding, yours is almost unmatched. I mean, you're a guy that, even with all this new stuff, I mean, you've really stayed focused on the boats. You know, you get a lot of people out there doing doubles and maybe even twelves on the cable, but you continue 
to be one of the only guys who truly keeps a majority of that behind the boat. What is it about the boat that that attracts you so much? Uh, not landing flat, because <laughs> I I mean I think it's really cool to do you know big tricks off kickers, but it it tears the body up to jump that big and land flat. There's no doubt about it. What's what I love about boat riding is that you can find the transition on the other side of the wake and uh you know you can hit a double up and be 25 20 25 feet in the air and still land on soft white water and you know this G23 has such a big transition now not just to take off from but also to land on that you know that you can go big and land soft and that's what I try to do and generally when I'm not going to I bail out but yeah I'm just you know I love riding rails and park I just don't necessarily like trying to huck myself off kickers and do you know that those kind of big tricks doubles and twelves off the kickers but you know I've always just liked to you know go try to find a little bit of transition it's out there all right let's jump from from wakeboarding to some off the water activities I know you have a reputation for being pretty good at at disc golf uh, how often are you playing, if any, anymore? Uh, I've actually been focused more on the on this ball golf, uh, trying to play some some real golf. Um, sorry to call it real golf, but you know, disc golf is is a fun hobby. But yeah, you've got a few aces in disc golf, though, right? I've actually never had an ace in disc golf. Really? I I had a an eagle too that was about as good as an ace because of the second shot was pretty legit but i mean uh i've had a an ace on real golf but yeah i've I've been focused more on the golf career i shot a even par round of golf not too long ago and uh trying to uh get in on the big break if i can on the golf channel is my goal so So we'll see have you considered taking your your golf game to a professional level i mean i'm definitely not good enough to be pro but i i would love to you know keep playing and do some little contests maybe some mini tour stuff or something but yeah i just i love it i need to get a lot better but yeah i'm still uh i'm like consistently shooting in the mid 70s now and a uh, couple rounds right there around even par so how about holes in one just one but it was on it was on a par four it was it was basically a albatross ace on a par four who are who are some of the wakeboards like wakeboard athletes that you're going out there and competing on the golf course with? Maybe not competing, but obviously every time you go on the golf course, whether you say it or not, you're trying to win, right? The game. Oh yeah, I mean I'm like the most competitive person, whether we're like having a driveway game of skate or on the golf course or on the boat or wherever. I've just always been competitive. My parents used to say I drove them crazy, but. Yeah, I love golfing, and a lot of my good buddies, wakeboard homies, are good golfers, too. I mean, a lot of them have beat me on several occasions. You know, it's golf. Everyone has, you know, their good days and their bad days. But Parks is a really good golfer. I golf with him a lot. Uh, Grub's really good. Um, Dylan Miller lives here in Claremont. Me and him golf together, and Dylan crushes it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a handful of guys who can hit it. Jimmy LaRich is pretty good. Watson play plays with me sometimes uh and and he can light it up when when he's uh in the right mood i guess but uh, yeah i mean yeah it's fun i love going out with the other wakeboarders and playing and 
um yeah maybe one day i'll i'll get paid to golf uh conditioning outside of wakeboarding i talked to you and you were actually it's funny we were at the gravel tour a month ago and in orlando and i was telling you that i'm interested in yoga myself and you're like oh yeah well these are the first couple of poses you need to to learn Uh, i think it was child's pose and downward dog and i i have been working on those a little bit i still can't touch my toes but how important is has yoga become to you yeah, I mean, I was I was doing those maneuvers this morning just because it's basically crucial to keep your body intact and to be flexible and, you know, to be able to wakeboard for 15 years professionally it makes me have to do yoga every day. So basically just important, I think, if you wakeboard a lot to, you know, loosen up and stretch out and not let anything get too tight or out of balance. And, yeah. And you also mentioned to me that your dad recently got you a hundred foot slack line which you've been getting into yeah the slack line i honestly recommend to anyone wakeboarding and slack line or sorry slack lining and yoga are probably like the two best things you can do for wakeboarding in my opinion and uh the slack line's awesome because it really builds all those like fast twitch muscles around your knees that help you balance like not the big muscle groups in your leg but all the little muscles that basically when you're standing on one leg you feel those little muscles firing around your knees and ankles and all those little muscles basically get stronger the more you walk on the slack line and it really helps you you know support the joints when you're wakeboarding and taking big impacts at funny angles so yeah i mean uh i definitely recommend anyone who's uh getting serious about their wakeboarding to jump on a slack line uh when i first did it my legs would wobble all over the place and a bunch of my buddies that are wakeboarders basically looked just like me so uh it took about a week till i could actually walk across it and uh i still do it all the time to make sure those muscles are still awake and alive and it definitely makes you stronger and gives you better balance you feel super planted on your board and you feel way more balanced on the water and on the ground when those muscles are alive and firing one of the world's most infamous slack liners and, of course, base jumpers, Dean Potter. Just, yeah, yeah. Just passed away. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's just so sad. You know, I've been a big fan of his for a long time and uh, read an article on him in Outside Magazine that was really cool and, you know, just uh, basically, you know, had tons of respect for the guy who did such mind-blowing stuff. You know, he would basically free climb up uh, a rock cliff uh out there in yosemite i believe but all over the world he was he would do this stuff but he would free climb with a base jumping rig and then jump off when he would you know basically feel like he was high enough to jump but there's a certain time period where you can't fall i mean you can't jump and you can't you know deploy your chute if you were to fall off so yeah the guy was crazy i don't actually I heard he was wingsuit flying when he when he died, and uh, you know, that's just it's just sad. But he was an amazing athlete, and hopefully his family is doing okay. And you know, my hats off to the guy who's an amazing amazing dude. Dan, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the boat before we finish up here. I know when I first started meeting you and hanging around you back around two thousand two thousand one two thousand two, I'd come up uh, with rucks with ruck and parks over to your house over on lake willis i think at the time yeah that's right and i i i know i'm a right foot forward uh water skier and wakeboarder 
So I had to learn how to surf backside, and that's just how I did it. And then when I came over to your house, that was the first time I ever had the opportunity to to wake surf frontside. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on the whole wake surf movement? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think wake wake surfing's awesome. It's it's just such a fun activity to do on the boat, and it makes the boat that much more fun when the water's rough and it's you know too many boats are out to go wakeboard. You can always drop in and go for a wake surf. I think it's uh you know. I think it's cool that there's contests, you know, I've never done a contest, but I definitely, uh, I've watched some of them like online and what they're doing is amazing. I consider myself more of like a free surfer, you know, but, uh, I wake surf all the time. It's a great workout too. And, uh, yeah, I've got some cool tricks in my bag, some three shoves, some transfer three sixties and, you know, some, uh, some cool different little ollie variations of threes and stuff. So yeah, I mean, uh, maybe one day I'll, I'll enter a contest, show these people what I'm all about. But yeah, until then, uh, I'm letting Noah Flegel take them all down, you know? Do you think that, uh, some of these pro wake surf people, uh, would appreciate what you do on the water? Do you think you'd get rewarded in their contests? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched them and, and I don't have like as many of the like, uh, shove tricks and stuff, but I, I do, I do have a lot of tricks and, you know, I threw a little D harf style in there. So I think I could, uh, I think I could hang, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not quite there yet, but yeah, I love wake surfing. My parents love wake surfing and, you know, it's, I've got my niece and nephew wake surfing, my wife wake surfs with me. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's just perfect for, you know, holidays and weekends and, uh, when it's too busy to wakeboard, go for a wake surf. And, you know, I, the thing is, there's really no consequences to wake surfing. It's not like there's any dangers to it. So it's not like, you know, I don't think it's ever like going to be like considered a gnarly sport, but it's always going to be probably one of the funnest things to do behind a boat. So Until we're like 80 years old. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm all about it. I know you're uh, getting set to leave town. Where are you off to this uh, this particular weekend? Uh, yeah, just headed up to St. Louis, Missouri, flying up there today, this afternoon, uh, and going to Monster Energy's Brostock. So, um, yeah, going to be uh, hucking down, throwing some, some double ups, so I'm excited. Uh, it's generally really windy there and some gnarly conditions for double ups, but we're keeping our fingers crossed that it's going to be fun so we can all throw down and hopefully uh, see some big tricks out of Brostock. They call it Lake of the Brozarks, I think, right? Yeah, the Brozarks. Which, that's what we we turn it into the Brozarks when we come. It's uh, it's at Lake of the Ozarks there, just outside St. Louis, Missouri. Do you have a special little something lined up? Something. I mean, you can say it now. What you're gonna do because this episode will come out right after Brostock. I mean, yeah. I, last year I tried some double toe side back rolls. Hopefully, I can stick one, and then uh. Yeah, I was thinking about maybe trying some, uh, some maybe a backside nine, um, or uh, I was also um, I, definitely a double for the finals. But um, then you know, in some of the qualifying rounds, depending, I was actually doing like this cool ole overhead seven that I did back in pointless incomplete. So yeah, maybe I'll try try something like that. But who knows? Kind of. Uh, conditions will determine what what we do out there but yeah uh 
it's a fun event. There's a golf tournament, so hopefully I get my second hole-in-one, win some boat. I don't know if they're doing that this year, but they did last year. Um, but, yeah, uh, looking forward to bro stock. It's always a good time, and, uh, the you know, those guys do a good job putting on the event, so pumped to be up there. Very cool. Before I let you go, do you want to give your people some love, sponsor shout-outs, or uh, any social media? Yeah, just, uh, you know, big ups to first and foremost, my, my family, parents, sister, and wife who uh, always support me. And uh, then sponsors, you know, big ups to Ronix Wakeboards, Nautiques, Monster Energy, Fox, Performance Ski and Surf, and the dudes at GoPro. Check me out, social media. Uh, follow me at Danny Harf on Instagram, Twitter, and Danny Harf on Facebook. All right, guys, he is the four-time four-time, four-time, four-time X Games gold medalist, the one and only Danny Harp. And, sir, I thank you very much. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back to wrap things up here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and a love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrow's handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Follow Woodrow's on Instagram at Woodrow's or check them out online at woodrow's.com. That's W-O-O-D-R-O-Z-E.com. Once again, bravo to Danny Harf. Is he not the coolest dude ever? Since I met Dan roughly 15 years ago, he's just continued to get nicer and nicer. He's a family man, and his entire family are great people. And in this case, the apple, once again, really didn't fall far from the tree. Interesting stories on this one, and it was cool to hear Dan uh, talk about learning to spin and how it evolved, and now how he's one of the sport's all-time spinners, being the first to land a heel 1080 and the 1260. It's impressive, his longevity as well. We talked about him competing at age 11 and 12 years old. Now at 30, he continues to innovate, create, and push the boundaries. I think the sport's lucky to have a guy like Danny Harf. Because already, while still an active rider, he's helped elevate wakeboarding more than most know. And once his time on the water mellows out, I believe he'll stick around and continue to grow the sport and continue creating products that'll take future rippers to levels maybe never before thought reached. So what are your thoughts? Let me know. I love email. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. Shoot me a note through email goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com or message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. Again, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at the Dano T Mano and at the golden underscore Mike. On Instagram, shoot me that follow if you would, at Dano T. Mano. Thanks again to my guest, the four-time, 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 four-time X Games gold medalist, Danny Harf. Before we go, a few shout-outs to the sponsors and the folks behind the scenes. Thank you to iWake.com, Performance Ski and Surf, PerfSki.com, Hydra Fenders, Hungry Boards SUP, Woodrow's, 
Jammy Pack, Go Puck, my friends at Logos That Pop, and Empire Sound and Lighting. That's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Dan Alamano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.